grown from your childhood to youth, and many of you have grown even beyond that. <laughs> so, but the most important consideration is our spiritual development. Material nature nat naturally follows certain rules. Birth, death, old age, disease, childhood to boyhood, boyhood to youth, youth to old age, and eventually we leave our body. But that is the phenomenon of the material body in relation to the material nature. Material body goes through these phases. Childhood, komaram jovanam Eventually, the body transmigrates, I mean the soul transmigrates from one body to But then when you get this human form of life, we have a very special mission to accomplish. There are life in other species also, starting from the trees and plants to the animals. They also live in entities. They are also spiritual beings. But they do not have the ability to expand their consciousness. The trees and plants fall in the category of living entities in covered consciousness. The trees and plants very little consciousness, as if their consciousness is completely covered. Insects too, animals, they fall in the category of shrunken consciousness. Their consciousness is more apparent, more obvious than the trees and plants. We can see that they are conscious, provided we are <coughs> conscious. <laughs> Because some people don't think that trees and that, that don't think the animals have soul. What does it actually mean? That they themselves are not conscious. <laughs> they themselves do not identify what consciousness actually is. Therefore they think animals don't have soul. Point is actually they don't understand what soul is. They don't have any knowledge about it. What is the symptom of soul? Symptom of soul is consciousness. Symptom of soul is life. Wherever there is life, there is consciousness. Wherever there is life, we have to understand that there is a soul. <coughs> so now that if we question, are the trees and plants alive? Do the trees and plants have life? In them? Yes. Are they conscious? Mm -hmm. huh? Yes. Therefore, they have souls. But the thing is that their souls are in a kind of a body where the consciousness doesn't have the ability to become manifest. They're covered. 
then uh, from what are what is above trees and plants plant life <coughs> insects worms uh, reptiles birds beasts <coughs> can there be any doubt that they are conscious will anybody say that <coughs> when a tiger is not conscious <laughs> Go and stand in front of him, <laughs> and you will see whether it is conscious or not. <laughs> so they're conscious, but their consciousness is in a shrunken state. But then comes the human beings. The the unique aspect of human consciousness is that. The human beings are also like animals initially. Like their consciousness is also shrunken. But the human beings have the ability to expand their consciousness, which other creatures, other living entities do not have. Can monkey expand his consciousness? Can a monkey go to school and learn different subjects? No. But the human beings can. They are exposed to different, uh, different arrangements for learning or different arrangements for receiving information and as a result of that we see that his consciousness develops and his intelligence also becomes developed. So, <clears throat> the human beings have a very special ability. That special ability is to expand his consciousness to an unlimited So that's why the human consciousness has been classified as the bud consciousness. Consciousness like that of a bud. A bud of a flower. Apparently the bud is also in a shrunken state. The petals are all in a shrunken state. But the bud has the ability to bloom into a flower. So similarly, human beings, although apparently their consciousness is in a shrunken state, but they have the ability to expand their consciousness, like a flower. Now for a bud to bloom into a flower, uh, what factors do the bud need? Uh, it needs two things. The bud must have the shelter of water, and exposure to the sun, especially lotus. When a lotus is exposed to the sun and the lotus is in the water, then what will happen? Into a flower. It will become. Now, for a human being, to, for a human being to expand his consciousness or from the bath state to getting to the blooming state. What are the two criteria that human beings need? 
exposure to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, under the guidance and protection of a bona fide spiritual master. When a living entity under the guidance of a spiritual master becomes exposed to Krishna, what happens to his consciousness? What happened to your consciousness? Did you start to blow? You don't have to be modest. You can. You don't have to even tell me anything, but you can consider yourself. Like, have you become exposed to Krishna? Yes. Huh? And how did you get to know about Krishna? Huh? Through the guidance of Srila Prabhupada and his <coughs> followers. You have been exposed huh, to Krishna through Prabhupada's books, Prabhupada's teachings, Prabhupada's devotees coming and preaching to you and teaching you. And as a result of that, what happened? Your consciousness <coughs> began to bloom. For example, how many of you now know that you are not your body? Please raise your hand. How many of you know that you are a spirit soul? How did you get to know that? Huh? Prabhupada's teaching. <coughs> and how many of you know that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God? How many of you know that you are a part and parcel of Krishna? How many of you know that you have a loving relationship <coughs> with Krishna? How many of you know that you have to love Krishna? <laughs> how many of you have surrendered to Krishna? So there you are. This is the indication that your consciousness is good. You got to know Krishna, you got to know your spiritual identity. But prior to that, what you are thinking, what were your basic understanding? That your, your body and you are existing for the sake of your body and anyway, everything in relation to your body really matters. Whatever is pleasing to your body or pleasing to your senses had its relevance and that that was not pleasing to your senses. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't want to have to do anything with that. So this is called Krishna consciousness. A human being has the ability to become Krishna conscious and then consciousness begins to expand. So, although your number is not many, as uh, your name is Nitananda Prabhu. As Nitananda Prabhu was telling that uh, the congregation here or the, this center here is small, it doesn't matter. Because when you go to buy diamond, in a diamond shop, how many customers do you get? <coughs> because in order, to buy, in order to buy diamond, you have to be solid. <laughs> Any Tom, Dick and Harry can have diamonds. But you go to a plastic shop, 
<laughs> like a DVD shop, plastic, <laughs> CD shop. You'll get many, many customers. But not that many. So this is the thing, like, this is something, Krishna consciousness is something that is very, very precious, very lofty, very profound. That's why not many people can recognize the value of it. Like there is an English expression, to cast pearls in front of the Can an animal recognize the value of the pearls? They'll think, well, no food. No good. So similarly, one has to be of elevated consciousness. One must have developed intelligence to recognize the value and importance of this process of So number doesn't matter. Prabhupada used to say also that we are not concerned about the number. We are concerned about the quality. And how do we recognize the quality? First of all, their inclination towards this process. They recognize intelligent class of people like yourselves. You have recognized the value of this information. You have recognized your identity as being spiritual. And therefore, you are undergoing so many different types of austerity. Many of you, I presume, were not vegetarians before. And now, how many of you have become vegetarian? <coughs> Now, is it easy to become a vegetarian in today's world? It's a tough job. <laughs> Difficult to become a vegetarian. Especially the friends and relatives coax you. What's wrong with you? Got crazy? <laughs> you don't eat meat for <laughs> Like, but what you're doing, you are avoiding those persuasions and temptations. Then what to speak of intoxication? I know many of you are not taking intoxication. <laughs> but those who are taking intoxication, to give up intoxication is a very, very difficult thing. The other day somebody was telling me that what to speak of hard drugs and things, you know, like even to give up the habits of cigarette smoking is so difficult for those who are addicted to it. And nowadays most of the people, they begin their day with a cup of tea or coffee. But since you have accepted the process, you have given up. No tea, no coffee, no cigarette, no alcohol. 
No opium. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently this is a difficult thing uh, to follow these four regulative principles. No meat eating, no intoxication, no illicit sex, no gambling. It's difficult to give them up. But you have voluntarily accepted this life of austerity. Why? <coughs> because you have recognized the importance of becoming situated in your spiritual identity. So, <clears throat> and those who accept the process, they are properly situated in the human form of life. Athato Brahma Jivyasa. The one of the preliminary instructions of the Vedas. Now that you got the human form of life, now you must inquire about your spiritual identity. Your spiritual identity. Who are you? Generally what happens when you ask somebody who are you? He said, he says, his name. But after coming to Krishna consciousness, you begin to realize that that is not actually your, that is not your real identity. Your real identity is your spirit soul. Where did you come from? Newcastle, <coughs> Durban, no. Where did you all come from? We all came from the spiritual sky. We are spiritual beings and we came from the spiritual <coughs> And what are we supposed to do here? We must take full advantage of this opportunity that this human form of life is providing by becoming a devotee of Krishna, by developing our loving relationship Now the question is, how did you get to know this? Before even you ask the questions, you even answered the questions. Where did the answers come from? Where did the answers come from? The answers came from Srila Prabhupada. The answer came uh, through the discipline succession. The answer came through the Vedic wisdom. <coughs> Prabhupada did not concoct something. Prabhupada simply presented what has been presented by Krishna at the beginning of creation to Brahma. Brahma also had these questions and Brahma did not get the answer, although Brahma, I mean, is an extremely capable person. Brahma came directly from Krishna. <coughs> we came from here, from our mothers and fathers. But how did Brahma come to this material nature? Brahma came directly from Krishna. Nara, from his neighbor. 
and we are connected to our mothers through the umbilical cord in the navel. Uh, our navels were connected to our mother's navel. But Brahma came directly from Krishna and from his navel. What is the duration of Brahma's life? One day of Brahma is 4.3 billion years. Now calculate it. In, according to that calculation, Brahma has his months, his years, and he lives for one, 100 years. Can't even conceive the duration of Brahma's life. And how intelligent Brahma is. Can you imagine all the, the secondary creation of the universe, after the universe was generated, it is Brahma who actually masterminded the entire universe. Such an inconceivably capable individual. And even he was confused about these three questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? And what am I supposed to do? But then Brahma received the knowledge from Krishna. When Brahma sincerely inquired, when Brahma performed Severe austerities, austerity means withdrawing his consciousness from its external projection to totally internally projected that consciousness and the core of his heart to perceive the Supreme Personality. So this is how Brahma received this knowledge. Even Brahma couldn't figure out why not. Let's consider that. Why not? Why Brahma could not? Why Brahma was not capable of understanding the purpose of his existence and his spiritual identity? Because in the material nature, our perceptions are limited only to matter. But this knowledge is of another reality, the spiritual reality. And therefore, we do not really have the access to that reality due to our limitation of our sense perception. Simple consideration. Can you see the spirit soul with your eyes? We say somebody left his body. Did you see how he left? And when he is in his body, did you see him? No. What to speak of spirit soul? With our material senses, we can't even see matter properly. We can't perceive matter. Like for example, we know that we have we have something called mind. Can you see the mind? You know that you have your intelligence. Can you see the intelligence? Can you touch the intelligence? Okay, these are subtle. Let us consider even Gross matter. One of the gross matters is ether. Can you see ether? No. And there is air. Can you see air? 
but at least with air we can feel it. Huh? Like when the wind is blowing, you stand out there and you can see, yes, it is there. <laughs> so that way you can, uh, through your touch, you can perceive the air to some. Then it comes to fire. Yes, fire you can see, you can touch. Mm. What will happen after you touch it, that's another consideration. <laughs> <laughs> and then water, water you can see, you can touch, and then comes earth or solid substance. That is even more tangible. So this way we can see, with our senses we can perceive only Earth, water, fire, and to some extent air. But beyond that, beyond it is not possible to conceive without senses. So what to speak of? The spirit soul, which is absolutely non-material. Therefore, the information about spirit soul can be received with only through one faculty. Through only one faculty. Which faculty is that? Hearing. The spiritual reality we cannot see, we cannot touch. But about the spiritual reality, we can hear, and by hearing, we can conceive the concept. That's why this process is called the process of hearing, or in Sanskrit, it is called Shotapanta. Shota. The word Shota comes from Shuti, means hearing. And by the process of hearing, we can perceive the spiritual world. Therefore, hearing is so important. Reading also is a kind of hearing. Reading is not, we can hear, of course, hearing is the best. Why is the best? Because a person who has digested the subject, when he speaks, he can explain the subject matter very easily to us. And the other consideration is, if we have any question, we can ask him. And he can clarify our doubts. Just by reading a book or hearing even a tape recorder, recorded message, the importance, the, the message is conveyed, but we don't have the faculty or facility to question the person and get the answer. That's why it's important to hear it from the person who is present and who has the knowledge. And that's why those who have the knowledge has the responsibility to go out and give this knowledge to That is how this process becomes perfect. Srila <coughs> Prabhupada, just consider what the sacrifice, what an incredible 
sacrifice Srila Prabhupada made. Can you imagine Prabhupada was living in Vrindavan? Not only in Vrindavan, just next to Rupa Goswami and Raghunath Das Goswami Samadhi. In the Radha Damodar temple, one of the original temples of And Prabhupada left that situation and went to America where he didn't even know where he was going to live, where he was going to stay. He didn't even know what he was going to eat. Why did Prabhupada make that sacrifice? Because his spiritual master told him to do it. His spiritual master knew the importance of that mission. And instructed him and Prabhupada did that. Made an inconceivable sacrifice and went to America in total uncertainty. And as a result of that, today we all are here. Now, this is a real basic fact actually. Now, because Prabhupada went to America, we are here. If Prabhupada didn't go to America, we wouldn't have been. We wouldn't have got the opportunity to get this wonderful opportunity of elevating ourselves to the spiritual plane and fulfill the mission, the purpose and objective of the existence. And as I was saying, Prabhupada did not do anything, Prabhupada did not give anything uh, just uh, as a matter of some mental speculation. Nowadays you see, like so many people come and speak and when they speak, they have no substance to what they speak. And most of the time we see, they simply bewilder people. Anyway, at least we are fortunate that we found out about the importance of Shiva and what is Prabhupada's teachings? Prabhupada's teachings are the teachings of the Vedas. On the basis of which scripture Srila Prabhupada presented Krishna consciousness? We'll answer the question. On the basis of which books Srila Prabhupada presented? Which books do we study in the morning? In the In the morning and evenings? In the mornings and evenings? Srimad Bhagavatam in the morning and Bhagavad Gita. Now what are these two books? Vedas had has two strings through which the Vedic wisdom is flowing. Those two streams are Upanishad and Purana. And there are 108 Upanishads. And what is the essential of all these 108 Upanishads? Bhagavad Gita or Gita Upanishad. Bhagavad Gita. And 
Srimad Bhagavatam is the essence of Purana. There are 18 Puranas and Srimad Bhagavatam. Now in these two scriptures, what do we find? Bhagavad Gita is their instructions of Krishna. Krishna himself spoke. Now what can be a greater authority than Krishna's own presentation? When Krishna himself speaks, like if you want to know somebody and if that person himself speaks about himself, isn't that the most authoritative source? So if we want to know the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then we resort to Bhagavad Gita where Krishna himself is speaking about himself. Krishna is not only speaking about himself. Krishna is speaking about all of us. Krishna is speaking about our purpose of our existence, how to properly exist in this world. And Krishna is also speaking about the responsibilities and duties and the processes of spiritual advancement. Krishna is giving all those information. And yes, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna speaks about himself. But how much can he speak about himself? If you are a very important person, even if you are not a very important person, if you have, how, if, can you speak much about yourself? Won't you feel embarrassed? <laughs> Won't you feel how much, how can I blow my <laughs> So, <laughs> Any gentleman will feel embarrassed to speak about himself. So that's what is happening with Krishna Bhagavad He's speaking about himself, but he's speaking with a lot of hesitation. Like for example, Krishna is, Krishna is not saying that I am situated in everyone's heart as a superstar. Did Krishna say that? What did Krishna say? Ishwara Sarvabhutana Rindeshwara. The Supreme Controller is situated in everyone's heart. Now who is that Supreme Controller? Then why didn't he say that? That I am situated in everyone's heart. In this way, Krishna is hesitating to speak about himself. That's why Bhagavad Gita is an introduction to Krishna consciousness. But Bhagavad Gita is not the conclusion of Krishna consciousness. Bhagavad Gita, when Bhagavad Gita ends, Srimad Bhagavatam Krishna may not be wanting to speak about himself, but when somebody who loves Krishna, when he speaks about Krishna, does he hesitate? He just goes all the way to describe the glory of Krishna. So Puranas are Krishna's devotees, presentation of Krishna's glory. Srimad Bhagavatam is the essence of all the Puranas. Srimad Bhagavatam is the spotless description of Krishna's glory. Amal Puran. And in this way, 
the information about the supreme personality of god is in the spiritual sky is available to all of us now the question is whether we are going to take advantage of it therefore in order to take advantage of what we have to do, we have to read these books on a regular basis and especially when we have <coughs> this wonderful uh, clarification of the wisdom through Prabhupada's Bhakti Vedanta Purpose. The subject matter may be very difficult, but Srila Prabhupada's Purpose has made the subject very, very easy. So that's why it is important to read the scriptures, it is important to associate with the devotees, and when we associate with the devotees, what should we do? We should sincerely inquire. From advanced devotees, we must inquire. Tarbiddhi pranipadena, pranipadena, padiprashnena. Padiprashnena, prashna means? Enquiry, question. And padiprashna means? Sincere inquiry. In this way, dispel your doubts. And when the dis doubts are dispelled, knowledge will automatically dawn. So that is the process. We should always remember that ISKCON is providing us this wonderful opportunity. Prabhupada's teachings are there, Prabhupada's devotees are there, Prabhupada's temples are there, uh, where we can uh, cultivate our Krishna. Associated with the devotees. Association of the devotees is very, very important. And provide that opportunity to each other. <coughs> I can see that that is the state of affairs in ISKCON most of places. That most of you all are householders. But during our time, ISKCON was different. During our time, most of the devotees were Brahmacharya. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, their goal was to become Sarvati. Doesn't matter. Ashram is not important. And although, uh, when the Brahmacharis are there, the temples are full. Uh, with the householder involvement, the unfortunate thing is, the temple doesn't become full. But doesn't matter, like wherever you are, practice the process sincerely and try to preach. Why, you know, Brahmachari means what? Youth. Why they, consider why the youth are not joining. I will say because you are not preaching. If you preached, the youth would have joined. So please take up this responsibility. Go out and preach. There are so many students, so many. There are how many universities are here? I'm sure in Newcastle there are quite a few universities. And go out and preach. Make them into devotees. And yes, someday they'll get married. Doesn't matter. Let them complete their studies. Actually, I'm, I'm saying it because in India this program has become very effective. 
we are preaching to the universities uh, in such a way that the university students are now living with us in the uh, in our hostels. Not a very big elaborate arrangement. Uh, say for example, you see, I am developing some projects in a place called Ujjain. Ujjain is not a very, it's a very important spiritual, one of the seven holy places of India. But it's not a big city. The nearest big city is a place called Indore, which is the financial capital of that province, that state. And in Indore, we are preaching to the students and we have, what we do actually, many of those students are coming from other places and staying in the hostel. So we are making arrangements for them. We rent a place, rent an apartment, and in an apartment generally, how many students live? 15, 20. In one apartment, 15, 20 <laughs> students live. There are how many? Four bedrooms? Four, five bedrooms. Like generally four boys <coughs> in one room. And, and this way we have about six such setups. And so you can consider six multiplied by even 50 <coughs> is about 100. Actually we have about 110 students. Now you know what they are doing? They get up in the morning to attend Mangalarati. <laughs> Mangalarati is not at 4.30, Mangalarati is at 6.30, 5.30. Japa first. Japa first. And uh, Mangalarati at what time? 6 o'clock. Oh, okay. 6 o'clock is, by the time they practically finish their Japa. Yes. And mind you, these all are university students. <laughs> and <coughs> then they have prasad, Krishna prasad, vegetarian food. And they, then they go and attend the classes. And although in the morning, every day for two and a half to three hours, they are involved in Krishna conscious activity, you know, their results are not being affected. You know why these boys themselves admit that amount of time that they would have otherwise wasted in doing all kinds of frivolous things, they are not doing that. So they are utilizing that time in their studies and many of them are doing brilliantly. So it's just, you know, some, uh, some organized effort will generate the result. And, and now what happens? We tell them that after your graduation, uh, or after completing your studies, you go and work for two years. Why? Because uh, if they don't work right after their studies, it will be difficult for them to get a job afterwards. Mm -hmm. But if they took a job for, and worked for two years, that experience goes a long way. And then after that they join the temple. And so far, how many students joined in Ujjain? Seven. Seven students joined. Mind you, we started our program only about three years ago in Ujjain. 
I mean, in uh, indoor, in the college And some of them don't want to go up and go and take a job. And no, we want to join the temple. We have to push them, not go and take a job. Incidentally, here's one boy, Suman. Suman, stand up. Suman is from London. He did his medicine. And then he, after his internship, he worked for one year. One or two years? Two years. Two years. And just uh, last month, his contract were, were contract expired. And now he doesn't want to take up the job. And now he wants to become fully involved in Krishna consciousness. Right. Um, he is traveling with me. So the point is, we have to target our youth, you know, because the youth are our future. Later on, after serving in the temple for four or five years, let them then go and take up a job. Let them get married, let them take up a job if they want to. So, and you see, like, we have to make this conscious effort of targeting the youth in order to expand the movement. The householders are important, naturally. Everyone is important. And Krishna consciousness is meant for everybody. So when the householders join, we should tell them to retire quickly. <laughs> and many of them are doing that. They are making their plan to retire quickly and become fully involved. Because I'm sure you all have noticed that once you get the taste of Krishna consciousness, you don't want to remain in that world anymore. Isn't it? Anyway, so <coughs> we have something very, very valuable, very precious which can actually transform this world. We have something that is going to solve all the problems of the world. Therefore, it is so important that we distribute this knowledge, this wisdom, and induce people to accept the process. And that is how the world is going to change. Otherwise, you can see all these so-called leaders come. They give so many big, big talks, so many assurances. But they end up increasing the problems. And year after year, that is what is happening to the world. The condition of the world is not improving. The condition of the world is deteriorating. Now tell me, what is the solution? Let us make a very simple consideration about the solution. Ever since you took to Krishna consciousness, did your problems increase or decrease? Whose problems increased? Please raise your hands 
And if you want, you can raise both your hands. <laughs> Whose problem Whose problems have been solved? Please raise your hand. Right. Now, individually, if something is producing certain result, if it is applied, if the principle applied to a larger dimension, will it generate the same result or not? Now consider, if everybody becomes Krishna conscious, will all the problems of the world be solved or not? So, so this is how we can see that this is actually the solution. Why this is the solution? Why does it solve the problem? Because we know, we get to know that whatever happens in the material nature is not important. We get to know that whatever is happening in the material nature, whatever is happening to me in the material context is due to my own karma. And Krishna's divine arrangement to make me a better devotee. Like it's not that the problems are not there. It's not that the devotees don't suffer. It's not that the devotees you know, don't go through financial difficulties. It's not that the devotees don't have physical ailments. It's not that the devotees uh, don't have social uh, calamities. But to a devotee it doesn't matter. To a devotee it doesn't matter. Just we can consider, just imagine, what can be a worse problem than Haridas Thakur faced? He was being beaten up mercilessly in 22 marketplaces. But did Haridasta would get affected by that? Why not? Because Haridasta would felt that this is what they're doing to my body. I'm not this body. They're beating my body. Okay, go ahead and beat it. You're not beating it. <laughs> So that is how a devotee transcends the material difficulties. Now isn't that the best way to solve your problem? Like problems will be there, but then you see, the and the most important consideration is, a devotee under all circumstances depends upon Krishna. And can Krishna take care of you? So that is how your problems get solved. Krishna takes care of your problems. In one hand you may think that, well, I have so many difficulties. But at the same time you see, well, I have so many facilities also. In that respect, I just recall one Christian tale. Like one man, did not, it was winter, and he did not have his shoes. His shoes got. So, he felt in this winter, how shall I go to, you know, I won't be able to walk through the streets which is strewn with ice. And so he decided not to go to the church. 
But then he saw one man who didn't have his legs. He's struggling to go to the church. In spite of not having the legs, he's going to the church. And then he felt, I was thinking that I won't go to the church because I didn't have the shoes and this person doesn't have his legs and he's going to the church. So this is how we have to see, like, Krishna has given me so much. Krishna has given us so much. Krishna has taken care of us in so many ways. And then when we surrender to Krishna, then we can see from inside. We practically see how Krishna is taking care. And ultimately consider, what is the problem of this world? Where all these problems are stemming from? Due to intense materialism and total aversion to Krishna. Because they have rejected Krishna, they have invited all these problems. <coughs> now if they accept Krishna, then naturally all the problems will disappear. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hare Krishna. All glory is Krishna. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> well, as I said, like this process is based on question answers. Just consider how many questions I asked you. Now it's your turn to ask me questions. <coughs> so, yes. What is the trick if you need any for one to have a balance between their, their spiritual life, their, their work, and their, and their family life? Hmm. Very good. Very good question. Especially for a householder, I think that is a challenge. The way to balance it is with Krishna consciousness. <coughs> now tell me, what is the difference between material and spiritual? Well, for the devotee, there isn't a difference because... You see, material and spiritual, the difference is, when we put ourselves in the center, it is material. When you put Krishna in the center, now when we, you think that you are working for yourself, it is a burdensome material activity. But if you consider that whatever you are doing is for Krishna and his devotees, then, then what happens? That activity becomes spiritualized. Like for example, if you consider just consider why you are earning money. Why you have to earn money. Okay, now let's go to the practical aspect. Why are you earning money? To maintain your family. To maintain your household. Now, if you make your house 
into Krishna's house. If you recognize that the members of your family are Krishna's devotees, Krishna's servants and maidservants, then whatever you are earning, whatever you are doing, is to maintain Krishna's house and Krishna's family. Then your work is material or spiritual. So this is how we have to you have to you know spiritualize your activity through you know ultimately it's a change of consciousness. Like whatever you are doing, you can continue to do by making a sh by shifting your consciousness, not for my me. Not for my family, it's not my house, it's Krishna's house, it's Krishna's temple. Where Krishna's devotees will be. And then, like you're working, so then, you know, your work becomes devotional. And then, you know, if you can give donation or help the temple, that will always, always be there. But at least you can start from that. <coughs> that is the, I think that's the best way to balance it. So any other question? Yes. Maharaj, you mentioned that we should try to enthuse the youth and get them more involved in Krishna consciousness. Coming from an education background, um, trying to educate the youth is the most difficult thing here in South Africa where the children of today they're not interested even being in the classroom they're more prone to having parties and being out so from a devotional point of view of a devotee how do we get them to become interested to to take what we're giving them okay yeah <coughs> just you know one with a very nice question very pertinent question. Okay, let them go to the party. <laughs> right? But next morning you ask him, how was the party? <laughs> how are you feeling now? So this is how you remind them that the, the way they are leading their life is increasing their suffering condition. And the way out of the suffering condition is this process. You know, that's how we have to, you know, after all, you know, they're young, they're inexperienced. And they're naturally, you know, allured by uh, the temptations of sense gratification. But what does the sense gratification ultimately lead to? It leads to suffering. So when there's suffering, that is the time we have to tell you. So, <laughs> How much do you like? How did you like it? <laughs> the main thing is, you know, we have to spend time with them. We have to cultivate them. We have to be with them. And wait for the right time. And, you know, eventually the world will become more ready for Krishna. Can you imagine when all these educated young boys and girls won't have any job? You know, unemployment has already become a big problem. In France, 50% of the youth are unemployed. 
Can you imagine 50% of the youth, educated young boys and girls, don't have a job, they don't know what to do. <coughs> In England, it is 25%. England's situation is not so bad. And it is going to get worse in course of time. Now, they don't, they don't have anything to do, so you, that's the time we have to go and tell them that, look, this is what you can do and this is the most important thing, this is the most rewarding thing. I mean, if you have become convinced, why others won't be convinced? I mean, we have been convinced about the process, <coughs> that's why we are here. Because this is what is the best thing that we found. So why can't we make others also recognize the fact that this is the best thing that a human being can do? <laughs> yes, Suman. Thank you much. Um, you mentioned earlier in your lecture the importance of hearing from a bona fide speaker. Um, how can we understand, sometimes if we're in a position where we're not sure, how can we understand whether the person who's speaking is speaking from the realized platform or from a more speculative platform? Uh, it doesn't matter. Don't try to judge the speaker. Try to recognize how much you can take from him, how much you are benefiting from his presentation. Right? When you go to the market, you buy not according to the person who is selling the product. But you buy according to your need, isn't it? There's so many things that are available in the market, but you pick what is for your need. So similarly, Krishna consciousness is a commodity and it's being distributed. So whoever is giving it, let's, let's see how much we can benefit. Is there a danger that if you're hearing from someone who's speaking from a more speculative platform that you may, uh, as a listener, de derive the wrong conclusion? Okay, if you have recognized that it is, he's speaking from a speculative platform, then reject the speculation part <laughs> and accept the genuine part. <laughs> right? See, that is the meaning of becoming a person like a swan. Swan takes the milk, rejects the water. A saintly personality accepts whatever is beneficial for his Krishna consciousness and rejects the rest. So, <clears throat> a devotee is like a swan. But there is another kind of personality, like a crow. Crow, what does a crow collect? The garbage. From the good stuff, you know, he crow won't take the good stuff. He'll just look for the garbage and collect that. <coughs> so the consideration is whether we should be like a crow or be like a swan. The devotee is like a swan. So accept whatever is nectar and reject whatever is poison. Yes. But uh, I understand Prabhu's question a little bit differently. Um, I, I, I understand that he's saying that if you're unable to identify it, how would you say it? 
If you can't identify, no problem. <laughs> 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 Where is the question? <laughs> Whether he's speaking from speculative. <laughs> <laughs> but the effect on the person that's listening. The thing is, anyway, the thing is, my point is, I understand it, <laughs> that also. But my point is, when you're listening, don't be critical. Be open. Because if you're critical, then you'll only try to find the faults. But if you are find, trying to find faults, then you are dwelling in the faults. But that is not a right thing to do. Rather be on the positive side. Look at the... I mean, if you say, if he at least mentioned once, Krishna is the supreme personality of God. Isn't that something worthwhile listening to? <laughs> Does it answer your question? <laughs> Thank you. That's a, also another thing, the intelligent mind, you know, tend to become critical. But a devotee's business is to become so. Well, I'm getting it. Whatever I need, I'm getting it. <coughs> The question there is, how I am benefiting? Yes, Sadhusarshi. Uh, could you please explain how material competition affects uh, a devotee spiritually, the attitude of the world being competitive? How does it affect devotion as Yeah. You see, there are two expressions, competition and compassion. <clears throat> competition is a product of passion. It is in the mode of passion. And mode of passion doesn't generate desirable result. Mode of passion leads to suffering. Bhagavad Gita Krishna makes it clear. The mode of passion leads to suffering. Therefore, a devotee's business is to become situated in the mode of goodness. Unless and until one is situated in the mode of goodness, that is, unless and until one begins to... You see, what happens? In mode of passion, you get involved in yourself. You get involved. You feel that this is what really matters. This is for your, this is what you do. But mode of goodness is, you stand aside and just watch things the way it's happening. And watch, what does it mean by watching how it's happening? To see that they're happening either by the karmic reaction or by divine intervention. So either you see it as the arrangement of material nature, guna karma aspect, karmic reaction, or everything is happening by Krishna's divine 
that is no more than And <clears throat> ultimately then you come to a platform of pure goodness. Because mode of goodness also has some tinge of passion, material. But pure goodness is the more spiritual. So, <clears throat> in this way, uh, you see, say for example, going out and preach. I will do it better than him. That is the mood of compassion. I'm comrade, uh, competition. But I will give them Krishna consciousness because the need, I'm seeing how they're suffering, to relieve them from the suffering condition. See the difference? My point is, don't get into competition. Because competition is in the mode of passion and the ultimately the result will be not that desire. Not that I am going to be better than him. That's competition. But I will do whatever I can for the benefit of that's compassion. So preaching should be founded, our spiritual activity should be based on compassion and competition. Okay. Yes, I'm uh, um, As a businessman, how would you reconcile that? Because you've got to be competitive. Uh, and it affects your consciousness doing it so many hours in a day. How would you? Well, again, you know, the same point. Why are you making the money as a businessman? <laughs> you know, like for Krishna's sake. Let me try my best to serve Krishna. Whatever the result is, after. And you try to compete. What is the best way to compete? The best way to compete is by giving in business, by giving them better product and better service. Mm. Let's compete on that platform. My product is going to be better than anybody else because I am giving it for Krishna. I am doing it for Krishna. And my service, I mean my service is going to be better than anybody else because I am serving them on behalf for Krishna. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, you mentioned Haridas Thakur got beaten, um, and he said that it's just my body. Uh, he obviously had the realization that he was the soul. And uh, now, for well, in a more practical way to get to that realization for us is quite a daunting task to to have that much develop that much faith to reach that realization. What's the most practical well, rest way assured that Krishna won't put you in a situation. <laughs> 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 Krishna put Haridas Thakur in that situation because of Haridas Thakur. So you can rest assured about that. Yes. But from your day to day life. Try to, try to accept everything as Krishna's mercy. Whatever little difficulties come on your way, you recognize that, well, this is my karma, 
and that's why, and it could have been much worse. But because I have surrendered myself to Krishna, it has reduced, the result has been reduced to a considerable extent. And when something good happens to you, thank Krishna for that. When something bad happens to you, blame your own karma. <laughs> and when something good happens to you, give that credit to Krishna. That is the spiritual that is the spiritual attitude, the attitude of it. On the other hand, how does materialistic people act? When something good happens to them, they take the credit. They want to take the credit. And when they have something bad happens, they blame Krishna. When Prabhupada was in Germany, some people say that if God is there, then why did he make them lose their family members and things in the war? You know what was Prabhupada's answer to that? Prabhupada's answer was that when you started the war, did you consult him? <laughs> you started the war on your own. And now there's something that has been damaging to you, you're blaming Krishna. I don't believe in God because if God was there, then why this happened to me? You will act on your own and put the blame on him. When it doesn't work, put the blame on God. Yes. Uh, do I parallel, maybe, as far as working according to the order of the spiritual master? Sometimes we find that on our own we may think what to do, even in the realm of Krishna conscious activities. But the, what is the value? Ask your spiritual master. <laughs> <laughs> I am asking. <laughs> You have to tell me the details. <laughs> Asking means, you know, telling him about what the, you know, actual situation is and what we're talking about. And the spiritual master general instruction will be, as I say, don't get into competition, but develop the mood of compassion. Right? Why are you going out and preaching? So that you have a big name? Are you going to preach because you have a big name? Or are you preaching because you are seeing that these people are suffering and they need these informations to get out of the suffering condition? <coughs> so does it answer your question? Anyway, all at the same time, yes, I also agree that yes, you need guidance. You need guidance from senior devotees. You need guidance from spiritual master. Yes, and seek for that guidance. The possibility is always there. Right? <coughs> Any other question? Okay.